In Mark 8, 2, it says, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Today, Jesus sighs deeply, and the disciples forget the bread for their Mark and sandwich. This is day 10. Welcome to the Journey Through Mark podcast, where every day we set aside space in our lives to experience God's Word. Together, we'll discuss the context and meaning of each passage and how the book of Mark can help us understand more about who God is and the story he's writing for each of us every day. Welcome back to day 10 of the Journey Through Mark podcast. I'm here once again with Brendan Lang and Melissa Payne. Hi. Question, are you a chef or are you a baker? Oh, chef, 100%. So you don't like following directions? Wait, well, that is true. (laughs) Because (laughs) from my understanding of you, you're more of like a baker. You like to read a recipe, follow it to the T, you're measuring everything. Have you ever cooked food with me? Or you're just saying like based on my personality, things have got to be by the... Hmm. Not when I cook. Not when you cook. Oh, this is when he really (gasps) knows his hair down. This is... (laughs) Wait, I thought the difference between a chef and a baker, if you bake, you're more of like doing baked Yeah, like you're doing carb, like this is cookies and cakes. From my perspective, and this could be completely wrong all the chefs and bakers are gonna like comment and be like you're so wrong you are wrong but say what you think anyway but i think that chefs are a little bit like more creative you know they're doing things they're adapting in the moment have you ever watched that english baking show the great british big don't have a yeah but bakers by nature like they're up early they're a little more disciplined they're regimented that's because people they're same you know they need consistency every day because they have their signature breads and all that stuff chefs are just like well what can i make today is this pork chop done (laughs) I don't know. Let's look at it. Let's poke it. Like, so that's my question. Are you a chef or are you a baker? Well, I'm a chef for two reasons. One, because I don't really bake the breads and any of that sure. stuff. Right, in that sense. One, but two, I definitely don't follow directions for food. Yeah. I like wild. I like the spice. I like the... All wow. The, this is I want to take it to another level. I never know. No, I never look at directions. I just... Interesting. So impressive. What about yeah. you, Melissa? I'm a direction follower. I knew it. Because I want it to taste good. It doesn't matter how many times I've made it. Like, I want it to be the right amount. I want it to bake for the right amount of time because I want it to taste good. Don't you want to like discover if there's something better out there though? I do. And I think that's why I can't decide if I'm a little bit of both. Okay. Because if there is a recipe that I have like made over and over, (laughs) then maybe I'll start throwing in a little little extra sugar or nutmeg. (laughs) A little bit more sugar today. Right. So I might go a little off on that. But some people that just kind of throw things in. Well, it's, it's not, just not always things. really good. Okay. What about you, Tyler? Oh, I'm definitely a chef. Oh, for like, sure. Even for cookies where you're like, you're supposed to measure. Mm-hmm. I'm like, eh, that's close, right? <laughs> I don't think cookies are something you improve by messing with them though too much. What I are would, you talking I would agree right. with you? You go by the wow. recipe. You guys are so wrong. Look, maybe if you're talking about certain <laughs> ingredients, like what type of chocolate chip are you using? Like, now, if of, I am just like but, making something up, obviously I don't have measurements for that. Sure. And I like to do that. Yeah. I don't know. But which one's more comfortable? I like to follow the directions. (laughs) Well, the disciples are following directions, but apparently just forget bread a Mm. lot today. They don't understand the bread at all. We touched on this yesterday. We did. But we're going to jump into it a little bit more and also try to figure out why Jesus sighs so deeply. Mm. But to get us started, Brendan, why don't you take us through the commentary for today? Day 10, in Gentile Territory. In today's reading, Jesus spends the majority of his time in Gentile territory. This is not the first time in Mark that Jesus has visited non-Jewish regions. He has already visited the Decapolis, a non-Jewish region on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. 
That trip was brief, but Jesus now begins to focus his ministry in areas beyond the Jewish Galilee. One story we read tells of how Jesus returned to the Decapolis and miraculously fed 4,000 people. Other than the specific location in Gentile territory, the details of this episode are similar to the more famous reading of the 5,000. In both stories, Jesus has compassion for a large crowd in a remote place. When he sees that they need something to eat, he asks his disciples to share their few loaves and fish. The disciples' responses in each story are also similar. In the story of the 5,000, they respond, that would take more than half a year's wages. In the story of the 4,000, they ask, where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? What stands out is the fact that the disciples still ask this question in the second story. Given that they had already seen Jesus feed 5,000 individuals, why would they doubt he could feed 4,000 now? The answer seems to be rooted in their expectations of what Israel's Messiah would do. Jews at this time expected that the Messiah would provide bread for Jews in the wilderness, just as God had done for the Israelites many centuries earlier. Jesus did this. The word translated as remote place in Mark also means wilderness. But few would have expected that the Messiah would miraculously provide for non-Jews like this too. Jesus' repetition of this miracle for the Gentile crowds confronted the beliefs of his disciples. Though they may have thought the kingdom blessings were reserved only for people like them, Jesus was welcoming outsiders to his table too. Like Jesus' disciples, we may need our eyes open to see who Jesus is welcoming into his kingdom. Jesus' compassion isn't reserved just for people who look, think, and talk just like us. His compassion extends to any who have need, and our compassion should too. For day 10, we're reading Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through chapter 8, verse 21. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened and his tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called the disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. 
He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Melissa, why don't you take us through our discussion questions for day 10. First question. Today's reading begins and ends with two brief parables about bread. The Syrophoenician woman's response to the first parable contrasts with the disciples' response to the second and shows that she understood what they didn't. Why do you think the disciples continually struggled to fully understand what Jesus was saying and doing? How do you think you would have responded to Jesus if you were present at this time? Second question. At the end of yesterday's reading, Jesus declared all foods clean. In doing so, he broke down a traditional social boundary between Jews and Gentiles just prior to his Gentile mission. What social boundaries do you see at work in the church and the world today? Why do we have these? What do you suppose Jesus would say about the boundaries we set up? All right, so Jesus doesn't sigh once. He sighs twice in this passage. One is a deeper sigh. I'm just curious. Is that the same type of sigh? So in the one, he's looking up to heaven. And here, you have Pharisees asking for a sign from heaven. In both cases, he sighs deeply. There's probably something going on there hmm. more than I've Maybe that's how he talks to God. He's talking to God. That's how I talk to God I talk to God a lot when I'm sighing (laughs) deeply. (laughs) Lord help me. That's a complete different tangent that I just thought was interesting. it's good. I have no idea really what's going on there. But here's my real question. Why can't the disciples remember bread? (laughs) They've fed 5,000 people. You'd think they'd be like, hey, we should have some bread in hand. You would think so. Even in like for themselves in the boat, they're traveling around. Hey, Mm -hmm. did you bring any bread? Nope didn't bring any bread. Jesus might do a miracle today. We should bring bread. Or Jesus might like (laughs) low key throw some shade because we didn't bring any bread, but he's not actually throwing shade. He's talking about something else. So what does the bread mean? Well, we talked about this. Yeah, it was yesterday. We talked Mm -hmm. about the Seraphonician woman, which we read about today. Right. And we talked about the feeding the 5,000 and how this miracle of producing bread in the wilderness, they're Mm -hmm. in a remote place. Again, it's not a coincidence. And this idea that people expected that the Messiah, the one that God would raise up to be king to liberate them from their experience with the Romans would be just like Moses because that's what God did in former days. He raised 
raised up someone who liberated them, helped produce bread. Of course, that was a miracle from God. Here, Jesus is actually the one who's kind of doing it, but that's what they expected, something like this. So he's demonstrating once again that he's a Messiah-like figure. Mm -hmm. And this is actually why the disciples, I think, seem to be a little bit confused at the end. He says, watch out for the yeast of Herod and the Pharisees, right? And they're like, what? And that's what I was going to ask. That? Like, <laughs> This is right after Jesus has this run-in where he yeah. sighs deeply. Yeah. And it's a weird exchange where the Pharisees are like, hey, we'd like a sign from heaven. And then Jesus is like, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. Like, what do they want? And what is Jesus even saying to the disciples then? It's a good question. I don't know that I have this totally figured out for myself, other than the fact that notice where they're asking it first off. This is verse 11, immediately after he performs this miracle. He's already given them a sign from heaven. That's what manna in the wilderness was. It was bread from heaven. And this is bread, you might say, from heaven. It's not falling from the sky. But they start off with, what was it, like seven loaves? Something like that. How many loaves do you have? Yeah. Seven. Mm -hmm. He produces enough bread to feed 4,000 people, have seven basketfuls. By the way, that number seven is significant. Figured as much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, what was it in the feeding the 5,000? It was 12, 12. loaves, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was a miracle for the Jews. Jews, four Jewish people living in Jewish territory. That's where it occurred. 12, again, we've talked about this before, this idea that it symbolizes the 12 tribes of Israel. So it shows him being a Messiah for the 12. The number seven conveys ideas of wholeness and perfection. And I think the idea here is that he's showing he's a Messiah, not just for the Jews, because now he's in Gentile territory. Yeah. And he's doing this for everyone. Hmm. And that number seven, you see it, especially like in the book of Genesis, multiples of seven, the number seven, they have to do with more universal cosmic types of levels of things. And so he's showing that he's king, giving them a sign from heaven, you might say. And now you have people asking for it. They're blind. Mm -hmm. you yeah. know, they don't see it. And so they're actually looking for something more apocalyptic, something on an even bigger and grander scale. And he says, you need more. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's the interesting thing is that at the end of the passage, he calls attention to those numbers again, yeah. the 12 yes. and the yes. seven. Mm -hmm. And it is kind of like, hey guys, you want something cosmic and massive it's here. Yeah. I'm right here. Right. How are you missing this? Yeah. He says, beware of the yeast of Herod and the Pharisees. These are people who, first off, have power. Herod's the political leader. Mm -hmm. Pharisees are religious leaders. They have some level of authority. They don't see it. They're confronting Jesus. They're confronting John the Baptist. They're doing things like that. And now he's saying to his disciples, make sure you're not like these guys and you don't have that same kind of yeast, that same mm -hmm. sort of bread in your life that's infectious and isn't aware of what's really going on. And what we're going to discover starting in next week's reading is that the disciples prove over and over and over again that they still don't understand, that they're still blind. Mm -hmm. In hindsight, it's probably easier to look at it and be like, as a whole story and be like, oh, look at this. I'm yeah. just thinking like, if I was in their place, I'd probably be like, oh, come on. Oh, sure. This right. Jesus, yeah. dude. Give me somebody who's like, jacked and ready to take on the establishment. Right? <laughs> That's right. That's and he takes on the establishment, but he doesn't take it on the way they want. So does this mean that the Pharisees are literally like following Jesus around too? That's a good question. I mean, they're seeking him out and who knows? I mean, we don't have specifics on, are these the same Pharisees? Are they different Pharisees? It says sometimes these people came from Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Other times it doesn't say that. And so think of Pharisees, they're religious leaders, but they're also, they're kind of like a party. It's a little bit like a political party. It's a little bit different. Okay. And so they're spread out. Okay, gotcha. It's not just Because it seems like they're always there to contradict what Jesus sure. is doing. The Pharisees you know? are everywhere. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, to give you an analogy, it'd be like the Republicans, the Democrats. Well, who are the Republicans? Who are the Democrats? Right. You know, it's, I gotcha. it's use that kind of language. 
So a key part of today's reading is that he goes into Gentile territory. What is the significance of that for these people? Like the disciples seem like this is completely confusing and very radical for him to be there. And I'm guessing if I was the disciples, I'd probably be like kind of on the Pharisee side and be like, what is he doing all the way over here? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's interesting what he does. Now for like thinking purely in historical terms, like what's going on? Why is Jesus doing this? There might be a number of motives. One is simply the fact that he's probably drawn a lot of attention to himself. Herod Antipas, the local Galilean king, I mean, Galilean tetrarch, the guy who wants to be king. He probably has a lot of problems with Jesus. Jesus is in some ways evading his territory. Mm -hmm. At least that's how some people think I would talk about it. But again, it's significant that up to this point in Mark, Jesus has been, his ministry has been focused on Jewish territory. He had one quick trip to the Decapolis and then he came back. Now it's focused in areas outside Jewish territory. So he goes to Tyre. Then he goes by way of Sidon to the Decapolis. Well, Sidon is north of Tyre. This isn't a straight line to the Decapolis. So he's going around and he's traveling through Gentile territory to get to, again, more Gentile territory. Hmm. And I think from a sort of spiritual religious perspective, this is him showing that he's not here just for the Jews, that mm-hmm. he's not just a Messiah for the Jews. It starts with the Jews. He's Jewish. God's promises began with Abraham with a group of people, but God's promises for Abraham were always so that they might be a blessing for the whole world. And this mm-hmm. is what you see in Jesus. Jesus comes to the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the son of David, but he's come to be king for the world. So yeah. it starts with Jews and then it goes to the Gentiles. And for the book of Mark, for that specific audience that is written most likely for people living in Rome, well, we know very clearly from the book of Romans that this is a church that's somewhat divided. Jewish and Gentile congregation, they don't always see eye to eye. Well, we figured that out. Got well, all yeah. those boxes <laughs> checked, right? Now we're all on the same page. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Just kidding. We don't really have it all figured out. I mean, that was one of the things that you talked about in the commentary today. A lot was this idea of taking the gospel to everybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our churches tend to look the same. There's not a lot of really diverse churches. Mm-hmm. And it's because there is this comfort with people who are like us, yeah. right? And Jesus says right in this passage, and Brendan, you said in the commentary, there's this level of compassion that needs to happen for us. And this understanding that everybody's included in God's plan for humanity. I guess my question here is, how do we do that? Like, how do we actually do that? What does it look like to be a church that is compassionate for everybody, regardless of where they're coming from? Well, I think even looking at Willow as a whole, all of the regions are kind of specifically geared towards the community that they're living in. And that even makes the makeup of Willow diverse and different in all the regions. Yeah, it's true. But I think even just here at North Shore, we definitely tend to fall into what's comfortable. And we definitely want to be a people who say everyone is welcome here. But I think it is a challenge to step out of what you're comfortable with and figure out who is in our community that we're not reaching and what demographic that is right here that we're not really reaching out to. And as a single adult woman, I do feel like after college, young adults, if you're kind of in that age range, it's a hard place to figure out where you fit because you're not married and you don't have kids and you're not belonging to promised land, but you're not really, you know, in these Bible studies with families and with couples or whatever. And so I don't know. I think that's a huge age group that we, even as the whole church, that we really miss. And so how do we go beyond what we've been doing to reach out to that age? I think it just requires a certain level of 
intentionality. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, yeah. it's one thing to say everybody's welcome here. It's another to do our best to step out of our comfort zones and invite and welcome and show that people are welcome. I mean, I can say someone's welcome here, but then if I don't live it out, right? you know, I can greet them. Welcome. Mm-hmm. But yeah. if I'm not becoming friends with those who aren't like me, if I'm not ministering to and spending time with, mm-hmm. and there are certain impracticalities with this too. Yeah. We have to acknowledge that there are some communities that like they're not extremely diverse. So it's not simply about being diverse for the sake of being diverse. It's about recognizing that Jesus is for everyone. And so whatever community you're in, it's being open to everyone and really meaning that and living Mm -hmm. that and embracing that. Yeah, I think it's important to, I mean, you said it, Melissa, Mm -hmm. this idea of you have to like really live it and Mm -hmm. practice it. And it's intentional. Like you said, Brendan, this is something that doesn't come naturally to us because we're going to gravitate towards what's comfortable and people make us feel supported in the same way that we are. So it is an everyday choice and a practice to step outside of your comfort zone. And it means being a little more tolerant on the things that don't matter so much. Right. The things that God would look past and having a kingdom mindset. Yeah. And there's varying degrees of that based on your background and your upbringing and your view of theology and your view of atonement and Jesus did. But I think it's something that we wait for others to do it Mm -hmm. so often that I guess like, how do we know when it's our turn to show this compassion? When is it us? It is your turn. (laughs) Yeah, but how do I know? Because there's a lot of people that go to this church and maybe it's their job to do it. And I'll just (laughs) chill here with you guys and we'll just keep making podcasts apparently. (laughs) I think it requires an act of selflessness. You know, after church, when people are hanging out and you kind of want to just gather with a group of friends that you came with or that you already know. And it takes a moment to say, oh, look, that person, maybe this was their first time and they're walking out by themselves. Maybe I should ask them to lunch or just kind of looking around and not seeing just the people that you came with, but kind of going beyond those walls. I'd say it's your turn right now. <laughs> That's what, It's not something you wait for. I mean, we're all called to be leaders in our own ways. And the mm-hmm. way we lead is by serving and showing love. And again, I acknowledge that there are certain impracticalities with us. You know, sure. mm-hmm. I mean, you can invite anybody to lunch, but that doesn't mean it's going to be the most comfortable situation for right. them either. We have to recognize that sometimes there are differences and the way you get to know people isn't always by diving in completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you mm-hmm. know, it's a process, but it's taking those first steps and welcoming and saying hi and then getting to know and being genuinely interested in people's stories. And all of a sudden you start building relationships with people you would have never thought you would have been friends Mm -hmm. with. I think it's to just generally caring about these people as humans. Right. Regardless of what you have in common with faith or age or demographic, Mm -hmm. any of that stuff, you have an opportunity to care for people as humans. And that's really what we're called to. You see it in this passage more than anything. Jesus is healing somebody who's mute and deaf. Mm -hmm. He's casting out a demon from a child. He's caring for people's physical needs by giving them something to eat. This is the way that Jesus reaches people. This has been a lot of his ministry so far. Mm-hmm. And for yeah. me, I'm like looking around and I'm like, man, this COVID-19 thing has given us kind of an opportunity to really step up and step mm-hmm. out of what we're comfortable with and care for people that really need it. Yeah. So I guess that's my question for everybody that's listening really is how are you seeing this as an opportunity? Mm-hmm. Not some sort of virus that's plaguing your normal everyday routine. How is this an opportunity for all of you to do exactly what Jesus is calling you to? Mm-hmm. And when some of this noise falls away, it's even more apparent that this is an opportunity. There's nothing else getting in your way. This is your chance to go and do what you're supposed to. 
And there are lots of ways to do that. I mean, there are people that really should not be leaving their place. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, I think right. if you meet a certain age, you have certain underlying health conditions. Right. Listen to the health leaders. You know, this is serious. But that doesn't mean there still aren't ways that you can be active and be involved in showing the kingdom of God right even from your room, right even mm-hmm. from your house. For those who this may not be as much of a con- – maybe it's helping provide the needs. You know, we talk about groceries and, you know, all the things. I mean, what would it look like if the church helped – because, like, I tried to put in an order last night for Walmart delivery. Yeah. They're Delivery is down for the next week. Yeah, so I can't is, get groceries delivered to me. Yeah, so, so is Amazon. So yeah, I've got to go. Mm-hmm. People have to go. And there are some people that really shouldn't go. And so what would it look like if the church stepped up and helped provide meals for these people? Things like that. Well, this is the end of day 10. We are halfway done with the journey through Mark. It's a bummer. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah, it's going <laughs> fast. It's fast. How is that? But day 11 kicks off with some serious stuff. So you got to come back on Monday. We're all downhill from here. All downhill. <laughs> uh, actually, yes. Speaking topographically, yes. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't bring that into they, this. We can talk about that next week. Maps. You got to come way. back from day 11 uh, because Brendan's going to be talking about topography. Yes. Can't wait. Let's do it. Thanks for joining us for the Journey Through Mark podcast. If this is your first time, we're so glad you checked us out. Check out even more resources, children and family resources, and ebooks for all ages. Visit our journey page at willowjourney.org and share your journey experience on social media with the hashtag WillowJourney. If you have questions or would like to learn more about the ministries of Willow Creek Community Church, check out willowcreek.org. We'll see you tomorrow.